I'm David Hershkovitz, and you're listening to Light Culture, brought to you exclusively by Burb, where cannabis clothing and culture intersect. Based in Vancouver, Canada, Burb strives to build on the city's legacy of cannabis tolerance and its gift to the world, BC Bud. Follow us on Instagram, at ShopBurb, and subscribe to this podcast at shopburb.com forward slash lightculture. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Light Culture. Today, my guests are Doug Cohn and Miguel Trinidad, who together run the 99th Floor, an invitation-only cannabis-infused dinner party that takes place in various locations around the country and in New York City. The dynamic duo share responsibilities. Doug is an events planner and experiential marketing entrepreneur, and other things we'll hear about, who handles everything but the food. You guys will correct me if I'm wrong, right? Sounds about, sounds about right. Sounds about right. <laughs> With Miguel Trinidad, the celebrated chef from Bong Appetit and other restaurants we'll hear about as well, taking care of the cuisine. They both share a love and appreciation of cannabis. Their mission is to destigmatize cannabis through the language of food. Well, how's it working so far, the destigmatization? I, I actually just, there's a word missing there, which I, I never heard anybody use without it, but I feel like it's a crucial word, the universal language of food. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the, the word universal there implies a lot. Without that word, the sentence is not as complete because food is the ultimate common denominator and it is a truly universal uh like language that no matter where you are you know matter what culture you're from it's just an integral part of your culture so i think that that word universal really tells a lot because that that piece of of unifying culture and understanding that you get through food is really what is the power in what we're able to you do. break bread with people yeah, and you sort yeah. of get to know them better. Yeah. I, it's, I'm Jewish and like it's like a thing, like, you know, stereotype of like, you know, Jewish grandmother trying to feed you. But every culture, it's every, is, culture. every culture it's, thinks that's their culture, whether you're Italian or Dominican or whatever you are. Like, oh, yeah, we, we always want to feed you, but everybody wants to feed you. Well, then you have the second piece to that, which is cannabis, which is also a universal connector, crosses through all kinds of boundaries of race and class and ethnicity and whatever, everything in between. So what do you think? Is it, are you having an impact? Is it helping the culture, destigmatizing through food? I think we're starting a conversation. You know, it's um, definitely bridging the gap between cultures. There's uh, like-minded people that come to our events and people who were skeptics before coming to our events. So I think we're moving in a positive direction when it comes to combining cannabis and food. Well, let's talk about these events because I haven't had the pleasure myself. We've got to fix that. Yeah, yeah I can't wait. Fixed. I mean, yeah. now that I see it, because it's not just like chow down. It's like a five-course meal, exquisitely yeah. prepared, fine dining, high-end experience. Yes. Why is that? Why was is that something that was part of the DNA of your of your experience, as opposed to more simple cuisine or kind of street food oriented or munchies? Uh, you know, this kind of started organically. You know, when we first decided to do something like this, we didn't want to just be somebody adding cannabis to food. We really wanted to educate people on how to eat it. 
uh, we wanted the food to be strain specific. So the menu is determined by the strain that we get very much like going to the farmer's market and picking the best produce. Uh, it evolved into something more fine dining because we didn't want to do brownies. We just didn't want to add some uh, tincture or, you know, infuse oil to the dish. We really wanted to incorporate it, and we had to use technique in order to do that kind of thing. You know, infusing meats in a sous vide bath instead of just, you know, frying it in some can of butter. Really uh, developing the flavors and playing around with all these techniques the, it evolved into a five-course meal, and it takes our guest on a journey. So usually by third course, everybody's feeling nice, cheeks hurt from giggling a little, and it's a safe environment with like-minded people. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, how long did it take you to kind of get it right? Did you have to go well, through a lot of experimenting? Well, so to even further answer that question, I'll tell a story of the first dinner we ever did. We flew, Miguel and I met, I won't fast forward through it. No, tell Not, me. We we met on a like a, a good friend of mine, DJ Neil Armstrong, was doing a thing, and he was going to teach chefs how to DJ, and then the chefs were going to teach him how to cook, and it was going to be like a video series. So Miguel was the first guest, and Miguel and I just hit it off, and we were just friends for a while, and organically we're like we should start working on things. So I have a friend, um, a good friend of mine, Bam, um, who is a, a really amazing farmer and at the time was doing these really amazing um, cold press CO2 extractions up in Santa Cruz. So we flew out to visit him and... Um, just as friends, just like, I want you to meet my friend? Or what? Yeah, so he yeah. could, so Miguel could, my my background is a little bit more into the nerdy side of cannabis for a long time. And it, it was newer to Miguel at the time, so I wanted Miguel to like dive deep and to see what the, see what these people are doing and and kind of now Miguel's deeper than I am. Now but, you were kind of the shaman hmm. taking him on this journey. Yeah. yeah, when he says newer, you know, I didn't know jack shit about <laughs> cooking with cannabis, <laughs> to be honest. No you know, besides, you know, putting some butter in some brownies or making some cookies, this is where the partnership, you know, kind of flourished because what I did know was food. And together, Doug, you know, schooled me on things that I didn't know about, you know, cold press CO2, um, extractions and rose water and hanging out with Bam, I got to learn a lot about the process of extractions and what the byproducts were and what terpenes were and the different flavor profiles. And throughout the years, you know, I've become much better at knowing how to play around with these ingredients. Well, he, I mean, really, his approach has always been and it always be based on what a chef does, which is pick up the ingredient and smell it and bring a palate that I couldn't even comprehend to the table, but it's kind of marrying what the science is with the more subjective aspects of it. So we we flew out and uh, we rented this little out of business ramen restaurant in in somewhere in San Fran. I don't remember where anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, had a couple of friends come by, and Miguel did his what we what was really the first ninety nine floor dinner, and it was very small. It was uh, a good friend of ours, Sean Welch, right? Sean was there, yeah. Sean was there. Sean was there, bam. Uh, another friend of mine, Boris. It was pretty much that was it. And we, we, he made a tonkatsu ramen, an OG Kush-infused tonkatsu ramen. And to connect into your initial question, a sweet and sour diesel chicken wings. So, like... Sweet and sour chicken. Sweet, sweet and sour diesel fried chicken. Yeah, sweet and sour diesel. So, instead of, like, you know... 
sweet and sour chicken. It was with the, with the, the diesel. And, and it was very delicious, but very on the nose, right? Like it's kind of, uh, when you look at a lot of what people do with cannabis, it's a lot of like, you know, on the nose cooking. Cause I think if I don't know how to cook, so if I'm going to try to do something interesting, it's probably going to be a lot more on the nose than what Miguel is doing. Oh, on the nose meaning just sort of figuring out. Literal, just very literal, right? Like, you know, I think. Following a recipe. Yeah, it's just literal. Yeah, exactly. So like when you get into cooking with, with cannabis on the level Miguel does or really any kind of like sophisticated cooking, your approaches are just so much more subtle and whatever. But like if, if I'm at home and I'm like, oh, I'm high. I'm like, you know, it'd be crazy, sweet and sour chicken, but with sour <laughs> diesel as the strain, because there's that's your sour, and you know, what the hell do right. I know? So he made it. It was amazing. We'll never do it again. It'll never be done again. Why? Never say never. Why? Why, why not? Because <laughs> that's not what we do. Oh no! But just as you know, at another occasion, you might. That's just not what we do, though. I mean, I think because that's to answer your question. Like, I see. You know, the there's a a space for that. And that's amazing. And if I was the cook, that's probably what you would get. But if you have somebody with Miguel's talents, you, our responsibility to change the conversation isn't to make the on-the-nose thing, right? It's not to make the brownie. It's to uh, shift your perception of food and cannabis food and the dishes that Miguel does at dinners that we always talk about that I think shine the most aren't necessarily things that you eat all the time. They're shifts of perception of food. And when you look at fine dining and where it is and all the amazing restaurants in the world from the Nomas to the Vespertines to, you know, all these people that are are challenging food and challenging your perception of food, I, b- I believe on some level that's our lane and that's our responsibility with cannabis is to show you what's a dish you've never had before and how are we using cannabis as a social experiment? And how are we using cannabis as a flavor experiment to shift what your perception is of food, of cannabis, of social experience? And I think that's the the ultimate, like, how you change perception. Um, and I think when you have true gift and true genius in as a chef... Um, that's your responsibility, and it's not to—it's not to knock people doing anything else. It's just that's what our lane is, and if that is what you're looking for, there's tons of people that are amazing, killing it. That I would love to eat their food, um, but that's just not—you shouldn't come to our dinners if you don't want to eat something you may never have eaten before, or if you're going to say, "Oh, I don't eat X. I'm not into that." Well. You know, it's probably not. We, we're not that interested so, in you as. Do you vet your guests that way, or how do you select? Because uh, it's by invitation only, right? It's by invitation only. It's like you gotta be down in order to get down. In other words, you but, know, um, we've curated a pretty extensive list, and it's by referral only. There's no substitutions in what we do. You know, what we put out on the table is an expression of what we're feeling and what we think will go best with the strain that you know, we receive. Well, tell me how you got there. So we, first you had the sweet and sour diesel chicken that will never be seen again. <laughs> and when did that, you know, how was the progression? And when did you feel like, you know, you had arrived at understanding of the cannabis and how it could be used in the, in cooking? Well, was there a particular dish or did it take a long time? Did you have any disasters along the way? 
if I can if I can tell you about one disaster was when we were start when I started making the candies. <laughs> you know, my math was completely off. What I yeah. thought was a seventeen milligram hard candy, it turned out to be a hundred and seventy milligram hard candy. And although I have a high tolerance, at that point when we started, my tolerance wasn't what it is now. <laughs> so it was a very uncomfortable experience. And that for me was key because I wanted to make sure that whatever we do, whoever comes to our events, whoever is involved in the experience feels comfortable. They can still get up and function. There's no set of paranoia. They're safe because we've all had bad edible experiences. You know, you're holding on to the couch waiting for the ride to end. I did not want that to happen when it came to the 99 floor dinners. So I would say that that was a key point in this whole relationship with cannabis where, you know, I had to think about exactly how we were going to curate the experience for our guests. Right. And, and as I see, what you do is you talk about it as kind of a micro dosing. As you go through the meal, you get more and then it reaches a certain peak, right? And it's kind of a controlled situation. Nobody's going to overdose uh, Not by in any that means. way, right? No, you want guests to come, but you also want them to leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on their own two walking. Yeah. I, I mean I think it's like, you know, I'm a definitely very like typical New Yorker, like nothing I'm never really happy. It's this is not like in my nature. Like so, you know, I'm always taking inventory and we're always taking inventory after every dinner, like what worked here, what didn't work here from an experience perspective, from a cuisine perspective. The whole thing has gotta be We've done dinners for people that are private, and we leave. Even if the food was great, the experience is not the same. So it's like it's a whole thing. So we're always shifting and changing and challenging what things can be better and what can be different and how to, um, you know, really improve. Whether it's a food perspective and we'll have open conversations or an experience perspective or was the venue great? You know, what are the things that are – are better because it, again, it's, it's you. You said it in the, in the start where you said you know, food is this very communal experience, but so is cannabis. So the goal is really to create these communal experiences where everybody is on the same journey. And and how do we curate the room? Well, it's it's you got to be able to eat whatever we serve. No substitution. It's not even a conversation. But you got to be able to bring energy. You got to be able to bring personality. What do you, who are you? What are you bringing? And it's not a People hit us up all the time. You know, I don't have a thousand, hundred thousand followers on it. I don't care. That's not what I mean. But what I mean is, are you going to walk in, smoke 19 joints before you walked in, and you sit there and you're really high and you don't talk to anybody? That's not what we want. We want you to make friends. We want you to bring your own experience in. That's what the dinner is. It's a combination of everything that we're doing with the food and the cannabis as the as that ship, as that journey to help guide what that, that experience is and, like. And you don't uh, allow people to smoke, is that Never. Clear? No, not at the event. Never. Why no. is that? Is that a, just a well, different, different experience? It is a different experience. I think that when you smoke, it takes you in a different direction. And when you're eating, again, we're curating a certain experience. So, you know, I'll use strains that will make you feel euphoric or will... Um, make you feel uninhibited and bring you out of your shell, make you feel safe and comfortable. You know, one of the dinners that we just did in L.A., uh, the 
the list of demands that we were getting from the guests was all over the place. I want some wheat. I want it strong. I don't want it strong. I want every other course dosed. So I had to find a strain that would make pe- put people at ease right away from the welcoming cocktail, you know, hitting it with a tincture and making them feel comfortable and relaxed so they can open up their mind to the experience that we're going to provide for them. You know, we're going to hold your hands and we're going to take you on a beautiful roller coaster ride that in the end, the worst thing you're going to feel is your abs are going to hurt from laughing. Your cheeks are going to be sore, but you're going to be in a safe environment that you're going to tell your friends about. It's going to be different from any other experience that you might encounter when it comes to eating cannabis. I'll go a step further, too. I don't if you feel like you need to smoke, feel free to walk outside or feel free to not come because you don't go to uh, 11 Madison Park and try to smoke. You don't go to uh, a restaurant with an amazing wine pairing and take tequila shots through the through that. Right. That's not what you're there to do. If you are incapable of not smoking for a couple of hours, I don't really care if you come to the dinner. And I don't mean that in like a, again, like go find something that works for you. That's cool. But like, you know, that's not what we're there to do. Like, we're not there for you to just be a vehicle for you to get as high as possible. Stay home and get as high as possible if that's what you want. So, you know, it's, it's a, People ask us, like, I do every once in a while, I'll post on Instagram, like, ask me a question. And that question gets asked often enough. And I'll say, no, 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 no smoking. Like, why? I'm like, well, why don't you just stay home if you want to smoke? Like, why do you, this is what our experience is. So if you feel you need to get that much higher, you're already, I I don't need to convince you of anything. You know what weed is, stay home, get high, you know, watch a funny movie, do what you want to do. If you want our experience, that's our experience. We don't need you to enhance that experience. Yeah, fair enough. What was the first dish that you felt had reached, you you know, you'd attained the level of what you were looking for with cannabis as somebody who was new? Because I imagine you're probably one of the world's experts at this point on cooking with cannabis. I, you know, mm-hmm. there probably aren't that many people who went to it. And, and just speaking with you, I could tell that... You know, you're a real student and you really pay attention to all of the elements involved in the process. You know, if you could talk a little bit about the learning process and a learning curve for you that you went through till you got to that level where you feel like, okay, this is as good as I can cook with anything, but it also has cannabis. Well, you know, as a chef, you're continuously learning. So if you think you know everything, you're going to be wrong and proven wrong over and over again. I think one of the quintessential dishes that... Gave, made me feel extremely confident that I knew exactly what I was doing was uh, the dry-aged beef with Szechuan noodles, right? The strain was sour chem and Girl Scout cookies, and the terpene profile just paired so well with the chili, the dry-aging, the noodles, uh, the woodier mushrooms. It really just took this dish to a different level where on the finish... You can really taste the weed, and it complemented everything. Or even playing around with the ice cream, um, again, using the sour chem strain, I was making a chocolate ice cream, and when I put some of the wax into it, the aroma that was released was like a Mexican chocolate. You can, you can smell the cinnamon notes. And that made me more curious about all these different strains, profiles, how they work on the body, 
how the flavor profiles interact with one another. And it was like being a kid in FAO sports. Like, <laughs> here, here's a chef with all these brand new ingredients and things that can be manipulated in so many different ways by adding, you know, a little bit of sour diesel with Girl Scout cookies or Blue City uh, diesel and mixing it all together to get these notes that start in the beginning of your mouth but finish in the end. And it takes your mouth on this whole journey. And it's all cannabis. You know, I'm not trying to mask the flavor of cannabis. I'm using that flavor to enhance the meal and complement the dish. Well, that's the question that I had. Is it something that enhances the meal, which you've kind of answered, I guess? Was it just throwing some, you know, putting something in to, to create the high, the experience of that, and, and you know, the, the taste, raising your levels of senses as, as, as part of it? But is it really an enhancement? Is it an ingredient? Would you use that if, if you know, if it wasn't, you know, THC or anything? Would, would it have something you would want to include in your, in your cooking as well? Absolutely. I mean, when you use terpenes, terpenes don't have any psychoactive effects. But the terpenes are great in salad dressings. They're great in soups. Um, what is it? Lemon haze and tomato soup put them together and it takes you on this journey where you get these rosemary notes without the rosemary. It's driving me crazy hearing you talk about this stuff, man. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's very much just like herbs, you know, your dill, your rosemary, your thyme. Uh, but now you have such a wide spectrum that you can pull from. But your understanding of the strains, which is so unique, I think, I mean, there probably aren't that many people who can talk about the strains in this way as as you do because they know you know the level of getting you high and what the differences are i think i think there's not as a knock on miguel at all. i think there's probably a lot of people in the world i mean there's so many amazing cannabis are there you know and not even chefs just people in cannabis that i agree there's so many know so much about cannabis you know infinitely more than what we know but what what miguel brings is the blind knowledge the palate which is a, a, a chef's tool. Yes, right? that's, that's what I meant. You know, yeah, but I mean, in terms of, you know, there, I mean, there's so many people that can smell terpenes on a crazy level and, you know, are really bringing things to, from a, a you know, from a, a cultivation perspective or an extraction perspective. And I think that innate knowledge is almost irrelevant to cannabis. It's more about just being a chef and the, just being around enough cannabis that the innate talent can just shine through as, you know, as an ingredient rather than to kind of even dial into the question. It's like, it's not about the cannabis. It's strictly about this, the aromas and the flavors, because that's where the, you know, that's where the root and the soul of, of what Miguel is. And what about, did you keep notes on this? Did you have to write down like all the different strains and what they were good for? Is this just something that you remembered naturally? Because a lot to keep track of, it sounds like. There's a lot to keep track of, and there's a lot of things that I forget if I don't write it down. But <laughs> I want to see your notebook. <laughs> uh, you know, whenever, whenever I get a specific strain, it's like I read up as much as I can about it and find out how it makes you feel, what the percentage of THC and CBD is, how can we manipulate that? How can we increase or decrease? How can we pull out some of the terpenes and reinterpret it in a different form? How can I manipulate the palate? You know, when you look at something and you think, oh, this is potato, but when you taste it, it's actually parsnip or something. It's fooling the mind, but yet exciting the body. 
I will say Miguel will definitely forget a lot of things because we 100% microdose at our dinners, but Miguel 100% macrodoses at our dinners because he's starting to cook, you know, at like 2 o'clock, and he's a chef, so he's eating things all the time. And then, you know, we usually do two seatings. So by the time he started cooking at 2 o'clock and we're done at 11.30, this man has eaten more weed than any person should, and he's so high. Like by the time he's in, you know, he introduces every course, so like, by the time he's in, like, the second seating of, like, the third course, you know, he's got to be writing things down because he's, he is. <laughs> I he, have to read my notes. Cause <laughs> yeah, because he'll, 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 he's, he's pretty high at that point. He's super so high. are fun as well for you. I... Well, you know, the perks of the trade. Yeah. So when you started this, was it 2015? Is that? Uh... Something like that, yeah. 2016. Wow. 2016, yeah, yeah. 2015, yeah. one of those. So it was kind of a different world, wasn't it, in terms of cannabis in those days compared to how it is now? Yeah, no, it's definitely, we definitely are less of outlaws now than we were then. So were you one of the first, or if not? One of, yeah, one, I mean, who, sure, who maybe. Wrote, who yeah, started I mean, thinking about there's, it. There's definitely other people out there doing it, and there's probably people we didn't even know about that have been doing it since the 90s and underground people who... We'll find out about in 15 years and, you know, um, but, you know, we do, I think what we are is the the first to have a, you know, a, a, a chef with actual restaurants and a chef with renown and a chef with, um, you know, a, a level of respect in the actual culinary world on a on a major scale, put his face on it. I think that's probably if if I would say what the the thing that I would you know, most stamp our flag. I'm always hesitant to say you're first doing anything because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Roberta's, GQ did an article with Roberta's at, um, what's it? Blanca. At Blanca, where they did a cannabis dinner at Blanca, and Blanca's a two Michelin-starred restaurant. I don't think it was something they did regularly, but they did it, and this was well before we did anything together. No one's ever the first of anything. Somebody always helped pave the way and help make you who you are and do what you do. As far as like somebody that was like, okay, you know, I'm Chef Miguel Trinidad. You can eat my food. You can see me on Food Network or, you know, The View or whatever, cooking and and know who I am as a chef. But I'll also be out here consistently putting my name and standing with cannabis as a movement. I think that's where we really, you know, pushed it. And then in terms of like format and how we execute our dinners, what comes with that. And in terms of the food world in general, has that changed? In the beginning, they probably didn't really welcome you too much with uh, the concept into, you know, the, the magazines. I know you've been written up in... Yeah, Food and, food and Wine. Just food and Wine and the food New Yorker. Food and Wine and New Yorker. Uh, Wall Street Journal, too. New, yeah, New York Magazine or yeah. Grub Street. It was a weird... Is it still kind of a weird thing? Do they still approach it as kind of like, wow, I'm going to try this? Like, so I, yeah, so I think... Different weird thing. Do you have regular customers, too, now? Oh, I mean, oh, yeah. yeah. Our dinners sell out in five minutes, and it's a lot of people that excuse me, that we've been, have been to multiple dinners. At the beginning, they didn't cover it seriously, and I think now it's more... Sophisticated. Yeah, it's a little more sophisticated. Now, I think the Food & Wine article was a really great article because it was a lot about us, but it was a lot about the general cannabis cooking scene, and it was interesting in the way that it was presented because it was like something is happening here, and we need to pay attention to it, and we need to look at it and acknowledge this as a real thing. And I think you're going to see more and more of that 
the approach of the journalists involved and, and the people covering it are going to be, you know, they'll take it more seriously. Because it's, it's, it's actually, I mean, it's one of the, in, with regards to cannabis, you know, there's a, like a huge history going back and all. But this is a, sort of like a newer side of the cannabis culture, if you like, because it, it, it goes in the direction of the food world, the foodie world, you know, that sort of elevated this whole concept of eating that people have today and and it's you know it's it's a cool thing and and people you know wait online and restaurants all over the city trying to get in so the the idea is it a is it um a fad or is it a trend you know what i mean is it going to is you feel like in 20 years is going to be restaurants open throughout the country offering this kind of cuisine as part of the regular fare i mean this is very much like you know the pre-prohibition era you know alcohol was forbidden and now you'll you'll see changes I, I think it'll be you know maybe 10 years down the line as people begin to understand how to properly dose and regulation is consistent across the board you might see it in restaurants um it, it's it's ways out but i think that eventually we will get there so in terms of a business that you have, right, this is part of, I don't know what percentage of your business this represents, because is it something that could really be scaled? Is this something you have ambition to grow into some larger entity, or is it just something, you know, the way you yeah, I mean, now is good enough? And, <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> we're, have a we're, meeting we're, about it first? No, I mean, we're, we're, <laughs> you know, the goal is, the goal is to launch a, a, food, a food product, and, you know, a, a cannabis food product that you can buy in dispensaries. That's the business goal. The dinners and the business goal are aligned from a marketing perspective and from a brand building perspective. But from a business perspective, we'll always have to be separate because scaling to any real degree will take away from what the experience is. So, you know, it's always a, a challenge to to match those two things but you know i i don't you know i mean it in it there's no time soon that we could see this a, a true scaling where the bit the the dinners themselves are something that you know you're retiring off of or doing anything like that mm-hmm. again it's so artisanal i mean you yeah need to ha- you know, yeah hell has to be there to be there and, yeah and, so, you know, so it's, and, and and in terms of like the regulatory framework you know i mean who knows bernie wins all bets are off I mean, TV it, dinners. Yeah, I mean, it, literally, you know. <laughs> so you, you never, you never know. I mean, supermarket. The the it's definitely a, enough of the wild, wild west where we j- don't. Anybody saying they know what it's going to look like in five years with real authority? I mean, who who the hell knows? California legalized. It's a disaster, right? I mean, legalization itself does not. Well, it's a disaster, and you know, for cannabis, the flower of the plant, I guess, more than anything, because. Um, you know, for the food, for the edibles, it seems to be like a new thing that's actually didn't exist before in the same level. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. if you look at the disp- and on some level, the the regulatory market in California is so crazy that the only product you really see at dispensaries now are are, are gummies. I mean, that's like ninety five percent of what you see at a dispensary are, are an edible product. Maybe some chocolate, some gummies. I mean, that's, that's a regulation because you can't make. A chicken pot pie or something. Well, yeah, and that's an FDA not thing. Not yet. That's an, that's FDA. an FDA thing. But that's not even a state thing. But, but I mean, even outside, you know, the, the, what it takes to get licensed, the kind of businesses that are getting licensed, the taxes, like, I mean, it's just, it, the laws were not executed in a way that benefit 
innovation or small business. So, so you have to be kind of a cannabis company to get in. You can't be a food company. No, yeah. That wants to then yeah join exactly. The so I mean, the laws are a clusterfuck. But I think, yeah, but the concept is great. I mean, I could certainly see that people would just want to go to the store, you know, the corner and get something. And One, one day. Why not? One, one day. day. One, one day. day, you know, we'll be the uh, storefronts of cannabis, you know, <laughs> high-end, um, real good quality meals and fuse for those. What's the best? Really need what's it. like the best TV, like Marie Calendar? Like Marie like Calendar? It was like the, like, if you were like, yo, I want the gourmet TV dinner tonight. What am I getting? Oh, Damn. Um, there is such a yeah. thing? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to, think, I'm trying to figure it out. I think so. I mean, I really can't. I think by definition, it's not going to be very good. <laughs> yeah. I, can't, I can't remember. I mean, I haven't had much. I usually cook my own food. So Fair I, enough. You do? I was just going to ask you if you're good at cooking your own food at home. Oh, yeah. I, I enjoy cooking at home. I've been more on a plant-based diet for the past couple of months. And just because it's so much easier and gives me energy and... Weed tastes great with vegetables. So would you ever have a meal like that as well? Prepare a plant-based diet, uh, you know, 99th floor? Oh, event? yeah. We've done that. You know, we did, uh, we did a Dominican dinner. You know, it was all Dominican-themed food. And I did each version as a plant-based and a meat-based. So the octopus salad was a hearts of palm salad. The sancocho, we did a vegetarian sancocho. And it was probably one of the best received meals that we've ever put out. Well, since you brought up a Dominican, <laughs> and so I could now is a good time to raise the question, because you are James Beard, famous Filipino restaurant <laughs> tour, right? But you're Dominican. I am Dominican. That's true. So yes. how, what happened? How did uh, you flip cultures like that? Well, uh, I had just graduated culinary school in 2007. Uh, I started working at this restaurant in Soho where I met my business partner. And she had this dream to open up a Filipino restaurant. I uh, knew nothing about Filipino food except for uh, just the basics, you know, lumpia, adobo, kare kare. And I said, hey, why don't we do this together? And she's like, well, you know, you're not Filipino. I don't know who you are. What, what is a Dominican? You know, she was from California. And we started playing around with it. You know, it started as an underground thing. We were doing R&D in our apartments, inviting strangers off the street, cooking for them. Decided to go to the Philippines and backpack for three and a half months and then came back to New York and opened up as a pop-up. Our first week, probably about 10 people. Second week, about 15. Third day of service, there was a line around the corner. There was an article that was written in Time Out New York. They gave us much praise and it just exploded. Eight months later, we opened up our brick and mortar. So now you're a Filipino, honorary Filipino. Honorary Filipino. I'm a Dominican guy cooking Filipino. <laughs> and it's working. It's working. It's New York shit, though. Yeah. Right. There's always was like the, the Cuban uh, Chinese restaurants, you know, that they used to have around. They're still around. They're still awesome. around. There's one in Williamsburg. Yeah. Brooklyn, yeah. Still killing it. And Doug, so uh, a little bit about you of before you met Miguel and how what your life I was did, like. I didn't exist. <laughs> yes. I gave him purpose. Yeah. I, I was nothing. <laughs> but you were doing something uh, very obviously very different. Yeah, I mean, I work in like fashion lifestyle. My background is a DJ, so I knew Neil Armstrong. Music is kind of the 
the the foundation of my life. Like I, uh, without getting too nerdy or detailed, was uh, used to in the '90s did a very directly involved in like the turntablist movement of the time and uh, playing real vinyl. Yeah, yes, I and uh, you know just New York kid, big graffiti crew, TCK. Shout out to TCK, New York kid, like hip hop, kind of living my life. For music, I started a watch company called Flood with my business partner, Mel, who's also Dominican. uh, Dominican. Dominicans are all all of my life. (laughs) I was also a partner in 99th Floor as well. And we eventually sold that company. We started a marketing agency called Stadium Status. Um, We're still partners in that. Um, And then just, you know, Mel and I met Miguel um, and then just kind of, kept grinding and now we do like we do like experiential and like a lot of collaborative strategy um for like higher end fashion brands and lifestyle brands and so stuff you're still like that. doing that that's yeah that's still the day job that's still the day job it's just the, pa- the passion project for now how do you see those two worlds merging do you think you'll ever be able to have a, an event for those major brands yeah i mean or are you already i mean they they've already merged yeah. because i mean when we started this it, you know, if I go back and look at the room, it's those are the people in the room. Those are still the people in the room. I mean, the support of the community, both our communities, is what made 99th Floor what it is. I mean, 99th Floor is a community event. It's really not a Doug event. It's not a Miguel event. It's not a Doug and Miguel event. It's an everybody event. Yeah, because, you know, the big brands are still, they you know, their audience is obviously consumers of cannabis in many cases. In terms of that, you see, you see it. You know, you see the the bricks falling down. But you know, some people are are more cautious about it, and you know, some people are are a little a little bit more gung ho. But you know, I mean, I we just keep doing what we do. I don't. But and you're working in a world that has like so many different rules, depending where you are. I imagine like in L.A., it's kind of you can do anything you want. I don't know legally. Whereas New York is very different, how does how do you walk that line, or how does that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, from state to state, uh, rules vary. We ride that line by just making sure that the food is good and not being too risky. You know, we're not trying to throw it out there in people's faces. We're not trying to piss anybody off. We're just trying to bring a community of like-minded people together who want to eat really good food and enjoy cannabis, and. With that mindset, no matter where we go, we have quite an interesting following of people that want to be a part of this. Do they want to learn from you as well? Does is that something you're doing, like classes and how to cook? <laughs> I get love teaching people how to cook. I hate classes, but <laughs> I get hit up all the time for information and information I share. You know, it's like uh, through Instagram or emails, we get questions about how to do a tincture, or how to make a candy, or how to infuse a dish. And the thing about cannabis is that it's all about sharing. So sharing that information with everybody builds a community, builds knowledge, builds strength. Anybody who doesn't want to share what they're doing, then you're, you're not doing it for the right reasons. You know, As a chef, you can put out a recipe and you want people to execute it the way that you would. So of course you're going to teach them the steps on how to do it. Same thing with cannabis. Anybody who asks me questions, it's like I have no problem sharing and telling them how to do it. Other chefs come to you as well other chefs you know i've collaborated with other chefs i talk to other chefs it's like when you have a bunch of chefs sitting at a table 
eating food, it's like we're bouncing ideas off each other, you know, and it happens in the cannabis sector as well. Chefs that cook with cannabis, we talk to each other, you know, because it's cannabis. It brings people together, and it's food. It brings people together. But do you find that they're curious about what you're doing? That the, are they, Do they come to your dinners as well? You or? mean like right, non-cannabis chefs? Right, yeah, or yeah, chefs that don't cook with cannabis. Maybe they're cannabis mm-hmm. consumers, but they haven't really moved in that direction, but they're hearing about it, and they know you're doing it. So if I was a mm-hmm. chef, I'd go, I want to go try that, see what that's like. I have a lot of chef friends that'll come down and check it out. You know, we get some that don't eat cannabis who wanna, that are curious and want to explore and experiment. And we have some that are connoisseurs and want to come to the dinners. And I've had chefs come to our dinners. I've gone to other chefs' dinners. And it's that type of community where you're going to bounce ideas off each other, see what each other is doing, learn from it, and try to improve. Chefs are, unfortunately, always cooking, though. Yeah. They're, you know, Saturday night we do a dinner. They're probably at their restaurant. Also oh. cooking, so right? Working. It does, and we're competitive as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. we always want. So, we see something, and we always want to do it better. We, you know, we get inspired by each other, and it's like, oh, we have some great idea. Let's do this. You know, one of my closest friends, uh, Umberto. It's like I love just sitting down with him and just talking chop. You know, he's not one that consumes cannabis, but uh, he has, and <laughs> he's had a great time throughout the process. Uh, something else that occurs to me that I've been thinking about, because there's, uh, you know, people do something like this, but we're pairing cannabis instead of infusing it or using it as an ingredient, but just having it as something, oh, well, we're going to have, you know, this appetizer and we're going to have this wine and then let's smoke, you know, this strain. That's you know, cool. Matching. That's fun. But that's not what we do. That's not what, that's we, not what we do. <laughs> that's fun. It's, again, it's not a knock on that. That's an amazing thing to do and that's a... Uh, super, super fun, cool way to to do it. It's just not. You, have you, know, you tried it that way. I have not. I have. I went to you know Chef Chris uh, from uh, what is it Twenty Past Four. He has his dinners. He pairs a strain that you smoke a little with each course, and I thought it was interesting. You know, it, it was great. The food was fantastic. The strains were on point. Um, that's that's his thing. You know, we do something completely different. You know, we don't pair. We, we don't allow the smoking. But I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just right. not no, what we do. Just something as another way because, you know, there's always the question is like this. I think you've answered it today for me. Is, but I always had the question, does the cannabis make the food better or is it just something that's used as an ingredient to get you stimulated and high and relaxed or whatever? So is it a taste thing or is it a, you know, body-mind thing? It's a little from column A and a little from column B. You know, uh, you are going to feel great because there is some THC in it and you can, you know, play around with the levels of THC and CBD. But it's also uh, an ingredient that is going to make things taste better or complement whatever you're adding it to. So how did you decide how much was the right amount of THC for, <laughs> for, for people to consume? I don't even know. Well, I don't know if Miguel has an act. I don't even know if it's really that complicated because, you know, we know the, the like, max legal dose in California is, like, 10 milligrams per dose. And, like, you know, 10, 15 milligrams is about what the average person is just going to feel pretty good on. And once you start to get past that, for me... You know, that's too much for Miguel. It's not at all, you know, but you got to, you got to do it for me. You can't do it for Miguel. 
you know, because if people text us, like, you know, I always do the follow-ups. People, how was the event? You know, just get the feedback. And if somebody says they were way too high, I'm going to be really upset. We did one dinner that was like a very, it was like the spring. Oh, yeah, this was a spring menu. And, you know, this is, again, learning about cannabis and the delivery systems. Because when you're using saturated fats or coconut oil, it absorbs into your system a whole lot faster than if you were using animal fats. So, yeah, this, like, people were pretty high really quickly. You and know? I don't think we were, I don't think it was something we thought was going to happen. And, that, and it was like, you know, I don't, nobody complained. Nobody said they didn't have a good time. But people definitely said, that was the one time people said I woke up fucking high. <laughs> and like, well, this is the thing also, all right, because we, we have to stress this. All right, the meal is about... 20 to 25 milligrams. We keep it in that area because that's a nice, safe spot for most people. Okay. At the end of the meal, they get a little tin with five candies. Each of these candies are five milligrams each. This is our giveaway. This is a way of letting you know the tin has about or more THC than the whole meal that you've just had. A lot of our guests will consume all of that candy that same night. So, I remember it was all spring menu. It was pea soup. It was crab. Yeah, I'm saying that night people were super high, irrelevant to the (laughs) game. Which is, you know, in itself is like a modern thing because back in the day, you didn't know how much THC was in anything that you consumed. Now at least you have that, right? I don't know. People were just not doing any math back then or they didn't know the math existed. But it it was the math of cooking with cannabis isn't per se that complicated. No, it's not. It's, right. just, it's not at all. But, but when you're using like tinctures and the, yeah, know, but if you're just so using flour, if you're just using flour, it's not that complicated. It just isn't. Well, see, but then, right? I remember the first time I made cookies or brownies. It's like you make the can of butter, right? And the recipe calls for a stick of butter. You don't know how many milligrams is in the stick of butter. You put it in there, and that's why you know you're floored or stuck to the couch, couch locked. Uh, now, you know, there are devices that will measure the the potency of whatever fat or whatever delivery system you have that you're infusing, uh, be it alcohol, fats, or uh, glycerin. You, you can measure what a tablespoon will be. So it makes it easier to control the dose. For sure, there's some level of, as cannabis consumers, we're so much more educated now than we were then. But maybe they just didn't care. Like, if I was making brownies when I was 16... I was throwing an ounce of weed, making and butter. That whole stick of butter is that ounce of weed. <laughs> yeah. I was eating one brownie and hallucinating because I did not realize that I did not need to put the whole stick of brownie in because I didn't know any better. But I have friends. That's my point. Right. But like, but like, there are definitely educated people then who knew. Uh-huh. Like, like if, like BT, was yeah. would have given me a, ch- a a cookie and said this is not that strong because we know what we're doing. I just think it's just like we just didn't care that much. I don't really think it's like the technology. I think it's just like all of a sudden people are like, oh, you know, we don't have to get that high. <laughs> it's possible. So you don't have to put the whole stick of butter in. Yeah, or exactly. the whole stick of infused butter in. You can cut it. Exactly. Right. Like moderation is like the new concept. Okay, you hear that, ladies and gentlemen? No matter what you see on Instagram with all those hashtag cannabis people like sucking up those huge hits on their bongs and their dabs. It's not about more. At least for me. At, <laughs> At least for, for us. Me. For me. You know? More power to you if you like the dab. I don't like the dab. But, like, if you do, cool. Again, that's the thing. It's like, I'm not knocking what anybody else does, but I'm not doing that. 
Yeah, I was afraid of dabbing. And then, you know, I went to an event um, and tried it. And I enjoyed it. It was clean. It was nice. It was flavorful. He likes to get higher than I do, though. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so I, I've been very educated myself here. I'm sure my audience out there has been educated as well. I really look forward to hopefully passing the test and getting invited to, or, or getting into one of your events. We'll leave, we'll leave the written exam out. for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll try. I'll get my cheat sheet and, and work on it. So thank you very much, Doug Cohn and Miguel Trinidad, for coming and sitting with me and educating me and also making me really hungry right now <laughs> to go out there and get something to eat. Thanks, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You've been listening to Light Culture, brought to you exclusively by Burb, where cannabis clothing and culture intersect. Please follow us on Instagram at ShopBurb and subscribe to this podcast at shopburb.com forward slash lightculture, as well as iTunes and all the regular distribution platforms. <laughs>